0: Welcome to Why in the Worlds. My name is Ben Shepard. It all started back in 2010 when Scott and his brother Reese decided to run from Boston to Austin. 75 marathons in 75 days since then he's put together one of the most impressive ultra marathon running cvs in the uk he now turns his attention to one of the most famous ultra races in the world the moab 240 and attempts to become the first welshman ever to complete the race i really enjoyed this conversation and i hope you do too scott jenkins is on why in the world I want to say I'm in a lot less pain this time seeing you than I was last <laughs> time because last time we were what mile were we at? What checkpoint were you at mile-wise? I think that it race? was
1: like 40. Yeah, it was the last checkpoint. So no, maybe like 42. So
0: you were he... looking good though. Yeah, I was. I was all right. There is a photo though that was taken, which if anybody ever asks me, doesn't running hurt? I'll just show uh-huh. them. There's a photo of me where I'm like leaning on my haunches with a glass of flat coke looking like i'm about to keel over (laughs) no it's not easy it's quite difficult actually Uh, but it was a sick race actually really really good race
1: yeah it's a really cool race he puts on down there in uh in sunny bridge the mountains are awesome such beautiful scenery and it was a pleasure to meet
0: your dad as well oh yeah good old philip the old man came supporting for the first time i don't really know what he made of like how much pain i was in from time to time i'm not
1: sure he noticed that you're in pain but he did uh, tell me that he enjoyed a pub lunch and a pint of magnus whilst he was there
0: yeah he always finds a pub i don't know how he does it so where did all this start then because you've done some pretty incredible things now um in the sort of ultra running world back in 2010 i believe things started properly popping off what led you to this sort of life
1: why in the world, I guess.
0: You there you, do there you yeah, go. Yeah, no. God, I didn't pay him for that either.
1: <laughs> Seamless plug. I think, you know, it started back in 2010, um, myself and my brother, uh, had always been into running, playing team sports. Uh, I kind of got towards the end of playing team sports and realised that uh, a Welsh national call-up wasn't coming for football no. or rugby anytime soon. Uh, so I uh, decided to focus a little bit more on my running. Uh, and around the same time, my brother was getting into to his running as well. And we used to go out on runs together, training runs, 20 miles, whatever it might have been. And you know, we used to have these conversations where we'd say, do you ever go for a run? And I'm sure you do as well. When well, you go for one of those runs and you think, God, I could just keep running forever. Mm. It's not like that every day, of course. We just kind of had this conversation where we said, well, wouldn't it be great to see how far we could go? And at the time I was working as a, a personal trainer in, in, in South Wales, and I was uh, involved with like a healthy hearts group, it was phase four cardiac rehab. Uh, and these guys, you know, they were coming in every week and they seemed to have like such a, a kind of, almost like a new lease of life, having been through something mm. major like a cardiac event. They obviously wanted to, um, you know, make the the most of their time on the planet. And it got me to thinking, well, actually, what am I doing to make the most of my time on this planet? Am I having the kind of adventures that I want to look back on in later life and go, wow, you know, that was amazing. Not, oh, what did I watch last week on uh, the TV? I want to remember kind of seminal moments, I guess. And um, for me, it was a case of, actually, let's go and have an adventure let's do something that's completely out there. And at the same time, let's let's try and do some good. So we came up with the idea of running from Boston to Austin uh, in Texas. At that point, I'd never run uh, a city marathon, or I still haven't run an official, like New York or London or uh, Chicago. Uh, if london wanted to give me a spot that'd be nice hometown (laughs) now but i've never done one of those races and I, i still haven't but we just said well you know we'll learn on the hoof so we flew out to boston me my brother um our friend rusty from texas john our other friend from texas and our other friend adam who were to be our two support team during the event pulled up google maps first day in boston right where's 26 miles from here and did the marathon and then at the end of the day the guys met us in the car went to the nearest town, tried to uh, negotiate hotel rooms uh, based on the fact they were doing the event for charity. Very supportive out there in the States, people were so friendly to us. And then the next day we drove back to where we finished the night before, right, was to 26.2 miles from here? And we just followed Google Maps and run another marathon and we just kept doing that and doing that until uh, we got to the last day and it was like, oh, right, uh, Austin's 26.2 uh, miles away now, Let's get this thing done. So yeah, we ended up coming in in 75 days in the end. So there were some days where the mileage was slightly under a marathon a day. uh, And there were other days where it was just ridiculous, like 35, 40 mile days back to back um, through places like rural Kentucky and Tennessee and all these amazing places. So yeah, had the adventure that we wanted to have, raised a lot of money for British Heart Foundation. Uh, help for heroes and salute America's heroes we all chose uh, a charity each to to support and from there it's just kind of uh, snowballed into this uh, right what are we going to do next for charity what's the next adventure
0: it's become a lifestyle for you for sure hasn't it it's evident to see that if people follow you on Instagram or any of your social platforms that it is not only like a love and a passion for running but it is actually a lifestyle for you now I think over that 75 days then let's just focus on that event a little bit to start with did your body adapt? How did you get through those days? How did you feel that your body adapted? And were you shocked by kind of actually what your body could do?
1: When we first started, we ran like the, the three, three days in a row. And after three or four days, I just remember thinking, my God, it was somewhere near Rhode Island, somewhere like that. And I looked at my knees and both my knees were you know swollen from the, the pounding that they had taken on the concrete and I just kind of thought to myself, Jesus, you know, we're, we're in deep here. How, how are we going to do another two weeks of this, yeah. uh, let alone another two and a half months or so? And then slowly but surely, every day, it just became like this, almost like a job, where we'd get up, we, we didn't know where we'd be staying, we didn't know where the next meal was coming from, we didn't have any facilities or anything like that. So we'd live on the hoof, and all we really cared about it's kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You wanted to be safe, you wanted to have shelter, and you wanted to have food. And each day it was that kind of three things that would keep you motivated to keep going because you're mm. like, well, I've, I've just got to keep keep moving forward. We'll sort out the problems as they arise. And um, for me, the adaptations after two weeks were just incredible. It just became like, right, you're going to get up, you're going to run all day, and then you're going to try and find somewhere to, to put your head down for the night, going to try and find somewhere to eat make sure you're safe and and get up and go again the only thing that i really remember being physically beaten up was my achilles you know when you're running at the moment and you're not doing that kind of intensity your achilles have like a natural elasticity to them yeah you've got that that spring in your step if you like when Boston to Austin, what I found was that even though the pain in the muscles and lactic acid t- tended to subside, the Achilles, each time you'd get up in the morning, it was just like dragging some bones around the, the motel or wherever we were staying until they um, kind of came back to life a little bit. And then after a few miles, it would be good. We'd run all day and the car would meet us at the end, get into the car, absolutely no stretching, nothing, just straight into the car get to the hotel, sleep, eat, and then crack on to the next day.
0: So that was the start of it all, really. 2010 kind of kicked everything off. When you got home from that journey, I'm sure there was incredible stories, incredible memories that you wanted to share with people. Did you find it difficult to kind of share with family and friends exactly what just happened? Because it's hard to explain when you haven't done something like that, I would imagine, for people to actually understand and understand that you also want to keep doing and do more of that trying to adapt back into like a normal way of life the first time was um is really difficult
1: like physiologically and, and mentally i mean you know back then social media wasn't anywhere near as popular as it was or it is now i should say you know instagram didn't exist it was just coming into the kind of facebook early era so I don't think there was massive like, activity on, on social media side of things. I think we came back and, you know, it's just a case of, right, you're not running every day now, you just got to get back to work, um, keep cracking on and, and trying to earn a living, I suppose. I think mentally, it was difficult to, to readjust. Also physically, just little things. So I think my in terms of like my heart became so conditioned to like endurance-based activity that I could run all day, no problem. But if I ran up the stairs to get my shoes or whatever, I would find that uh, I'd be out of breath, which was really weird. So I had to kind of manage that aspect of getting my fitness levels back and having some kind of explosive power, I suppose, some ability to not just be an endurance athlete and be able to kind of lift weights and things like that as well.
0: So from there then, from that first big event, which now 10 years ago, yeah. was mad. I, pretty much. Nearly ten years. I saw some photos actually the other day <laughs> God, of it. There's terrible. some fruity looks by you boys in there. I'm telling some you. Some real strong looks. There is some I'm not entirely sure strong would be the word I would use, to be honest, but there's some looks.
1: Slightly less grey
0: hair? Oh. Slightly less. Slightly less. <laughs> From there, sort of moving on then to sort of more recent times. What was the next big thing for you after that Boston to Austin journey?
1: I took a year off. I think it was just physically so demanding, but also mentally and stress-wise, I was kind of, you know, there'd be ups and downs along the whole of Boston to Austin. And by the end of it, it was just exhausting. You thought, right, I need to take a year off out of doing anything crazy, get my fitness levels back up, and then see what we do next. So the next thing we did was a uh, relay run which is a really nice way to get back into it. So we did a relay run around the uh, circumference of Wales, me and uh, my brother and seven of our friends, and that was awesome, really enjoyed it, got me back into it. I uh, thought, yeah, I really like these adventures, let's, let's keep doing this, it's really good. And people people seem to like them, people are interested by it, and ultimately that means that we can raise a bit of money yeah. and a bit of awareness for charity, which is uh, is really important. So it was doing that, and then um, after the year after that, we, me, Reese, uh, and two of our friends, uh, Dom and Sammy, we got our bikes, drove down to Turin, and um, we cycled back from Turin uh, to Cardiff. Because
0: why not, yeah. just casually do that.
1: That was a lot of fun, actually. That, that one I, I really got into, because it was, it was a bit longer than the, um, the circumference of Wales run, and kind of got me back into that proper multi-day kind of mindset. It was awesome cycling through the Alps as well. We did like the Col Agnau, colder, colder Izard. Alp de Hues was awesome. So we got there uh, late in the afternoon, and uh, my brother, being my brother, uh, loves to to push the boundaries. And he, he kind of um, sloped off a little bit. I thought,
0: Where's Reese gone? And
1: have you ever seen those purple morph suits that people yes, wear to I have. festivals? Yes, I, I, I,
0: so I, I own a black one actually. Oh, do you? Yeah. Very
1: fetching. And you're giving me grief about a strong look. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah point. so um reese came
1: back dressed in his purple morph suit i said to him you're actually going to cycle up out duets and that he said yeah why not obviously those things have got limited visibility limited amount of uh, fluid that you can get through the net in he started going around the, the hairpin bends i think by the time he got to the seventh one people had uh, cottoned on to what was going on so um, there was all these uh, Belgian and Holland and European cycling fans because uh, Tour de France was due the next week and they'd all set up uh, camp. What is going so, on? So they'd all kind of run out into the road and this guy on his in his purple morph suit would be cycling up the middle of the road overtaking the local cyclists and They were not happy, but the fans were loving it. They were running (laughs) alongside. There's something about
0: cycle touring. There's something about doing sort of big cycle trips. I've never done anything big back-to-back, but having done sort of quite a bit of triathlon and and doing these long bike rides in training, when you're with a group of people and you're on the bike and you're somewhere that's beautiful, there's something about that, isn't there? Definitely, uh, you're 100% right on that
1: again, mate. I think um, with the cycling, you get to... Obviously, if you're doing a triathlon, it's tough, but you get to enjoy uh, the scenery a little yeah. bit more. And I'm sure when you've jumped off the bike and you start running, you're looking at the same bit of scenery for quite a while. Whereas in cycling, it just changes that little bit quicker. Uh, there's a, that bit more of excitement because you're going faster. Uh, you've got to think a little bit more. Whereas in running, you kind of, you can turn your mind off and just put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes.
0: Do you ever have people say to you, oh, "Come on, buddy! Like you've done enough now. You don't need to do any more."
1: Yeah, all the time, all the time. People in work as well. They they love it. They go
0: oh yeah, this is Scott, he does a bit of
1: running, Uh, yeah, he's a bit crazy, or he's mad, why on earth would you want to do that, kind Mm -hmm. of thing. I get it, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, certainly you have to have a a certain mindset and a certain kind of aspiration to to want to go out there and challenge yourself, I suppose, but it comes back to my point at the beginning, you know, when we're on our our deathbeds and we look back at our life, what do we want to be proud of? We want to be proud of, you know, your family and the relationships you've built, but you also want to be proud of the, the things that you've achieved. Um, And I personally believe that if you can be proud of those things that you've achieved and you've helped other people along the way, then I think you might well be contented as you get towards the end of your days.
0: I can't remember who told me this, but it's something I kind of stand by quite heavily. And I've said a few times on this podcast, actually, I think it's all about building that life CV you wanna build something that you're gonna be proud of when you look back. This life CV, I've Definitely. done this, I've done that, I've been here, I've been there, like make memories. I don't get how people don't get that, if that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly the same thing. So that's when when people say to me, oh, you must be mad. I'm like, am I the crazy one because I wanna make these life memories, this life CV? Or are you the crazy one because you, 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 you want to sit on the sofa and, and watch Love Island or or whatever it might be? You know, you won't remember those things, but I, I guarantee you remember doing a triathlon or running a marathon or doing something that was an adventure, but also some good at the same
0: time. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose you do have to look after your body a little bit as well, which sometimes is hard. Do you struggle with that? <laughs> do you struggle with the recovery element? Because I want to get onto this actually in a little bit, but... You don't stop. To be honest, yeah, I I do struggle
1: sometimes for sure. Um, The recovery element being this morning some croissants and pastries that I'd uh, (laughs) nipped out to the shop to get for your arrival, Ben. Danish as well. You're a good man. You're a good man. Got some nice icing on it. So there's two points this year where I really struggled. So the first time was coming back from Death Valley crewing for Reese. I decided to go up to Tahoe and pace for my buddy up there in the Tahoe uh, 100. He did absolutely awesome, uh, but really emptied the tank uh, doing 20 miles with him towards the end to get him under under the 24 hour mark and was so happy for him that he he was able to achieve that. But then I got on the plane, flew back to the UK, I think I had a day or two uh, back in work, back into the thick of uh, the day-to-day job. And then I found myself like somehow transported down to Bristol on the train at the start of um, Bristol to London, one, four, five uh, mile race down the canal there. I did that race and it was really, really taxing uh, both on on me, but probably more so Reese cause he obviously just run uh, Badwater and a week later he's doing another 145 mile race and it took us toll the first 20 miles I, w- I was being sick then Reese was being sick and we really had to battle to get through that one definitely I think you, you need to take those breaks after the the big events if you like and I've got a theory on that now in a second which I'll, I'll, I'll chat about but then the other time that I've really struggled is uh, after the last race which was at the back end of August on the bank holiday the Liverpool to Leeds uh, canal race went really well. Really pleased with how the race went, but physically, two days later, generally I was back in the gym, like stretching, I was doing weights. Uh, I think I did a bench press the, like two days after, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's like actually up there with probably working on those beach weights." Yeah, yeah, you've got to get those beach pods. You can't <laughs> have those twiggler arms, no way. I, I yeah did this training session. I thought, "Oh great, I f- feel really good. No no aching in my bones, in my legs or anything. No no aching muscles." And then about three days after that, I went for a run and I just felt so lethargic. No pain, except for a couple of blisters, but just a kind of underlying lethargy that I couldn't really shake off for a week or two. And it's only in the past week or so that I've actually been able to start ramping up my training again and, and really pushing myself over shorter distances. Um, and I'm trying to keep my fitness levels where they were at the back end of that 130 mile race so that I can carry it into the next one so my theory that I was kind of alluding to is that it's much the same as like lifting weights so if you were a power lifter or a crossfit uh, person you were doing a, a one rep max for a deadlift you might do that once in a month maybe twice at a push not because physically you're going to ache afterwards you might for a day or two but because of the overloading of your central nervous system and I think it's the same thing with these ultramarathons you you are going to the absolute extreme you're emptying the tanks you're putting so much strain both on your, your muscular system but also on that central nervous system that uh, when you come off these races you may feel fine but I think you you actually do need to force yourself to say well let's just taper it back a little bit mm-hmm. here. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm right on that I'm soon going to find out in like two weeks time when I go to race so um, hopefully I've, I've kept it at the right level got some longer runs now as I start building up and then I'll uh, yeah, drop the, uh, the levels down a little bit before the race. Then.
0: It's super interesting kind of looking at different theories about ultra running, because although, you know, running long distances has existed for as long as humans have existed for. Actually, running the distances people are running now competitively hasn't really existed for a huge amount of time to the masses no. like loads of people are doing this now so when we come to our old age and when we can look back at that life cv it's going to be different and it's going to be very interesting to see how the body actually has coped with that throughout a long period of time and like you said not only talking muscular but talking like nervous system and mentally mm. as well Do you worry about the future and worry about your body and worry about if if the stuff you're doing now is going to play a taxing role?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it'd be foolish not to to worry about it. I think in my line of work as well in in terms of uh, orthopaedics. It's almost like a comedy sketch. It is, isn't it? That you like... Basically, sell fake knees. <laughs> I think I said to you earlier that sometimes I talk to surgeons and they they ask me about the run inside side of things and you see them kind of eyeing eyeing up my uh, my knees like uh, a fine fillet steak. You know, I will see you in ten years oh, time, kind of. Yeah. Well, uh, do you fancy some bilateral knee replacements, Mister <laughs> Jenkins? Um, I do worry about it. You know, osteoarthritis is a, a degenerative condition um, and there's no doubt about it at some point in my life you know at some point in most people's lives they're going to suffer with symptoms of osteoarthritis however how we choose to get there is the important thing so whilst i'm active and people say well you know what about your body you're going to wear your body out I'd rather be active wearing my body out than live a sedentary lifestyle and just sit on the sofa eating Doritos. I do like a Dorito, cool. chili heat wave.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: Amen to that. Very great great, so, great flavour. So. I just think that it would be missing out on life if I didn't go and have these adventures. Um, and I'd much rather, as I say, wear my body out through activity than just through sedentary lifestyle and in my experience of going into operating rooms. You see a hell of a lot more people that are uh, overweight or obese uh, having joint replacement than you do from people coming in having done ultra
0: marathons. People don't think that you can have a good life and enjoy yourself when you're doing stuff like this, as well. Actually, it's just a different way of socialising, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, doing this sort of thing, you meet like minded people, you can go out and have a few beers. I know this year you went on Ibiza for a bit wasn't yeah. it before a race or something Pardon like that. Me,
1: it was somebody else I think took over my social media <laughs> <laughs> just on the weekend. Of course, it, it course. was brilliant. Yeah, uh, do you know what? I'd never been on a lad's holiday like that before, and um, it was certainly uh, eye-opening. I think it was actually harder as an endurance event for me <laughs> than uh, running these ultra marathons. I mean. These guys are up to like 6am, you know, going to nightclubs and stuff. By like 10am these knackered. days, I'm getting on a bit. I've got some grey hair and um, by these yeah, I want to be in bed at like 10 o'clock so I can sleep and run the next
0: day. The point is you can still enjoy yourself, can't you?
1: Oh, definitely,
0: definitely. You can still have a good life and still do fun things and go to the pub in the afternoon and have a few beers if you want to go to the pub and have a few beers. Definitely. Actually, probably better because you don't have to worry about the calories because you're going to go out and yeah. run it off the next and day.
1: Great way to take the edge off the pain as well <laughs> you know? we
0: were talking about whiskey earlier enjoy uh, enjoy your whiskey as well after a long run and Anandos as well uh, whiskey and Anandos can't go wrong There's, there you go <laughs> the Scott Jenkins recovery strategy right there the canal slam you've done three of these big races pretty much back to back it's an amazing amazing achievement now thank you you must have felt incredibly proud coming to the finish line of that last one first if people don't know exactly what that is just explain briefly what those three races are Thanks for the kind words, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, So the Canal Slam, uh,
1: in the UK, there's three uh, canal races down the the long canals of the UK. So if you're familiar with Peaky Blinders, the first one is uh, the Grand Union Canal from Birmingham to central London. It's a 145-mile race. That takes place in May of every year then there is Bristol to London which takes place down the Kennet and Avon canal that's another 145 mile race although I will say this, when I got to the end of uh, Bristol to London my
0: Garmin said 152 miles I don't trust anybody that sets ultra races I just don't trust them (laughs) because I did this 75 mile race this year (laughs) 75 miles? No and then you speak to the guy after he's like Oh, yeah, there's yeah. just a shrug of the shoulders yeah, and know well, you're getting more for your money, aren't you? Yeah. So,
1: you know, don't complain. What are you complaining about? Tough races, really tough races. And then the third one is um, Liverpool to Leeds. So uh, that's at the end of August. So uh, basically, these races take over the place over, you know, four months and they're pretty t- tight turnarounds to, to get them done. Really, really cool courses. People sometimes kind of look at them and go, well it can't be that hard it's all flat and i can assure you that it's actually really difficult running on the flat for 145 mm-hmm. miles because your gait cycle it's never totally never changes um so yeah they went really well uh as i said earlier the the second race was particularly difficult um especially coming from death valley where it's like 52 degrees celsius back to bristol where it's chucking it down with rain and it was you know, a smidgen over 15, I think. It was a massive temperature change.
0: There's a few places I've been in Bristol that you could probably refer to as Death Valley to be perfectly honest.
1: <laughs> we're from, well, I'm from Cardiff, so exactly probably quite same, similar thing? to be yeah. fair. Got all three races done, really, really pleased. I um, think I finished sixth overall, which is, um, yeah, pretty pretty proud of that. They were tough races, but really it was just kind of doing these races and building up to towards my A race this year as well, and just want to you know just if anyone's thinking about doing these canal races the the people that, that put them on are some of the nicest people i've ever mm-hmm. met uh, a guy called keith godden and uh, dick kern dick was the um, the forefather of uh, the race if you like um, he was the one that ran it first of all 26 uh, years ago just lovely people lovely volunteers um, they're out there all weekends. You know, giving you support, giving you food, giving you water, and yeah, it was uh, like you say talking about living adventures. You know, you're living adventures with those people over the course of a weekend is just awesome. So, if you're thinking about doing those races, the lottery for uh, Grand Union Canal opens on 26th of September this year.
0: The photo, by the way, is sick. The photo with all three medals. Oh, people thanks on very much. Instagram. Thanks very much. This is a strange question, and I don't know quite how you'll take it, but do you? Allow yourself to be proud of yourself after finishing a race like that because you've done so much now. But this is a big thing, like three back-to-back races in the space of four months of that distance. Do you sit back and think, well, you know, actually, that was that was pretty sick. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> proud of that.
1: Uh, I suppose, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I, uh, I'm really proud to to have done them, but I don't think it's anything that you know. I was, even putting up the, the photo of the three medals, it kind of goes against my character a little bit, but I'm kind of proud of them at the same time because I know how hard I worked to, to, to get those medals. So, um,
0: yeah,
1: I, I suppose quietly I'm, I'm quite proud of it, but I'm not one of those people who likes to walk around going, oh, my God, did I tell you what I did last week? People just tend to ask me about it occasionally, and it's really nice to talk about it on these you know podcasts with you. But... Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's another summer, another, another three races done. And, it just um, becomes
0: normal, doesn't it, I suppose?
1: Kind of normal. I mean, the medals are over there. For if, if your listeners, they're just kind of chucked on top of the microwave. They're yeah. not pinned up on the, the whole wall when you come in or anything like that. They're really heavy, really nice medals, but it, it's just a bit of metal at the end of the day. It's all about memory, mate.
0: A race. <laughs> Let's talk that. The A race, one of the most famous races in the world. I think over the past three years, it's really gained like huge, huge notoriety. You're heading out to Utah yep. to do the Moab 240. Was this something that you have had in your head for a while? Yeah, so um, I'm super excited about Moab, by the way. Super excited. Well, I'll
1: talk about the scenery and stuff in a second, but um, it's something that I wanted to do since I saw uh, Courtney DeWalter absolutely... Savage, rip, by the way. Rip it out. Savage. She's just incredible. She won
0: by 10 hours.
1: One by 10 hours set the course record in 2017, 58 hours, which is obviously we haven't even talked about the distance yet. It's a 240 mile race around uh, the Utah desert. Um, for those that, that haven't seen it, Google Canyonlands National Park, the uh, Salle mountains, you know, you're starting at an altitude of 3000 foot odd above sea level. It goes up to like over 10,000 foot. Uh, back down the other side. Weather conditions—you know—you're looking at 25 to 30 Celsius in the day. At night, it drops below freezing. So, a massive like swing in temperature, massive swing in um, altitude. It's just going to be a really difficult race. But what she did, and it's just incredible—beat all the guys, you know, by 10 hours, set the course record, 58 hours. I mean, it's just astonishing. And you
0: don't make it easy for yourself, do you?
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely you pick not.
0: these races. <laughs> I uh, do pick them.
1: Yeah, I do pick them. Um, but again, I think it comes back to that adventure piece. So there's certain races that I'm sure other people would love to do because it appeals to them. I think in terms of Moab, it just appealed to me. I remember watching like um, cowboy films and stuff when I was growing up and just seeing like those vast kind of American skies with like the red rock uh, bluffs and the mountains and canyons and thinking, wow, it'd be cool to see that someday. And then all of a sudden I saw this race and I was like, I've just got to go and do this race and um, see what it's all about. I mean, 240 miles, the furthest I've ran in one sitting is 152, so it's a a long way on top, Um, but it's going to be so challenging, so exciting at
0: the same time. As we're sitting here, it's the 21st of September. Talk me through from now until you tow that start line. A lot of work. I've got a lot
1: going on in work uh, in my day job, which is great. Um, and then outside of that, it's just training and trying to get myself in as best physical shape as I can be. So I have got a, a great coach, a guy called Lawrence Cronk, who does my training through um, his company, Endura Prep, and basically they um, they do my plan through via Training Peaks app and each day I just log onto it and try and execute on the training plan. So I'll be training every day until I get on the plane. I'm going out on the 4th of October to Denver, flying into Denver, and then going up into the mountains uh, of Colorado, which are about 14,000 feet, some of them. So I'm just gonna hike around, get used to the altitude, and hopefully the theory being that I can, um, when I drop down to like 3,000 feet, it's gonna be a lot better than coming from sea level in London. One of my favorite things pre-race is um, the kind of um, expedition shop, if you like, so going to buy all the food that I think I need, um, buying kit, things like that. Uh, well, you saw earlier, we had a nice, nice delivery of some trainers this morning. But two, two pairs, two, two pa- pairs. Two it's pa- only supposed to be one pair, Scott. <laughs> so uh, for your listeners, my wife is, um, we, we've just moved out, so my wife is watching uh, what I spend on kit and just keeping me on the straight and narrow in terms of uh, not going over the you're top. You're like a dog with a tail under its legs. Yeah. You said, like,
0: I needed a nine and an eight and a half as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, like my trainers that I, I'm just going to get this out there so you listeners, so she can't argue with me at the same time. <laughs> so my uh, my 8.5s that I wore on um, Liverpool to Leeds are, are battered, like the treads gone on them. So I needed a new pair of 8.5s. Anyway, so I bought the 8.5s and then I was chatting to my friend yesterday and I said, you know, I'm going to need another bigger pair of trainers as well. So do I go up one size um, and then try to run the whole race in one size or do I go with what I know for most of the race and then go up because your feet are going to swell so much. So I ended up kind of verging on the side of caution and buying both (laughs) sizes so that uh, hopefully my feet
0: stay in shape for the whole race. What is it about these races through areas of beauty that you love so much? I mean, maybe I've just answered my own question there. Obviously, they are areas of beauty, but you do pick these races and you've been back to places a few times that are just absolutely stunning. Are you drawn to, like, the mountains?
1: Yeah, I think I am drawn towards the mountains more than than anywhere else. I just love the kind of... um visceral experience of being in the elements, you know, not knowing what's round next corner, climbing up or hiking over a mountain and seeing the vista or the view from the the top is just incredible. I just I just think that's really, really cool to do. I like the thought of going into the unknown and thinking to yourself, you know, hopefully it's just like this in Utah where you, you turn around and you have a moment and you think, My God, how many people have stood here before This year, you know, in the last 10 years or the last 100 years, 100,000 years, whatever, uh, even in Death Valley, like when we've run out in Death Valley a couple of times, I love the thought of running through that area, knowing it's such a tough environment to run in. But imagine what it was like for the settlers who kind of came across this vast open expanse of desert thinking right if i go over those mountains will there be water to keep me alive or not as the case may be mm. um i just find it all exciting so yeah to be out in the really is the main thing
0: is there any worry is there any terror i mean mohab 240 <laughs> just as a title just as a name it's one of those things that if you know anything about ultra running you see and you know that title and you're like well that is that is quite something
1: yeah, yeah, if I'm honest about it, I'm a little bit nervous, you know, um, me and uh, my wife, Abby, by the way, I should say, I'm, the reason that I can do these incredible events is down to the support of my family and friends. And I just wanted to really, you know, thank, take the opportunity to thank those guys who on, your, on your podcast because you couldn't do it without a team mm. around you. And it comes back to the same thing in Utah. You know, when I was making my plans for the Moab 240, I am nervous, I'm excited at the same time, probably 50-50 either way, uh, depending on what time of the day you get me on. So this morning, Abby, my wife came down and she was chatting to me and she said, you need to do more hill training. And immediately I got slightly defensive because I I don't want negativity, I want positivity. Like, I don't want any element of doubt to creep into anything. So I feel, feel good physically you know mentally you've got to get your mind prepared there's going to be a lot of pain ahead um, and the only way that i can achieve my goal is by having the team around me to, to help me do that so very lucky i've got abby my wife um my best friend uh rid morgan and uh, my other best friend jake cooper from um from the states they're coming out to to support me yeah hopefully fingers crossed i can be the first welsh
0: person to finish the race have uh, you thought about the finish line <laughs> yeah, I do. I do.
1: Do you wanna know what I think about? Go on. It? <laughs>
0: Well, number one... I'm never going to say no to that question, by <laughs> the way. Do you want to know what I think about? Yes, of Well, course. when
1: you do an ultra, you get a lot of dark thoughts through your head as well, of course, and crazy thoughts and hallucinations and all sorts. So I have thought about it. Number one, I thought, how on earth am I going to get my post-race Nando's? Uh, by the way, if Nando's are listening, me and Ben would love for Nando's black card.
0: I'm all good with a sponsorship deal, if, if you know.
1: Number two... I'll have to buy a bottle of whiskey to take with me for the finish line. Number three, do I run down to the finish with a Union Jack or Union flag, as it's known when you're you're on land, only Union Jack at sea. Fact of the day.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah, there you
1: go. Fact Cheers, of the day. Mate. Or do I double side the flag and put a Union flag on one side and the Welsh dragon on the other side, or do I just go with the the Welsh flag on its own? Because it would be the first Welsh person, but. A lot of my friends and family and the people that support us are from all over the UK, so I'm not against it. What about one in each hand? Oh, uh, that's an outrageous idea. What One pole each hand. Yeah, that would look sick. That would look pretty cool, wouldn't it? That would look cool. Just run over the finish line, just plant it in the ground so question for you because you ask me all these questions and I appreciate you taking the time to, to interview me what, what's your motivating factor behind it all oh mate no one's asked me a question like you're, that you're on this a, podcast you're a heck of an athlete yourself you know, you've know, you done triathlons you've done ultras I saw you at that ultra
0: you're working hard um, when I was when I was like 16 years old I, I, I was pretty ill for a bit I had an abscess in my spine L2 L2 L3 mm-hmm. um, in sort of the disc and it was eating away at the top vertebrae and the bottom vertebrae it couldn't do any operations or anything because it was close to the spinal column i was very active at that point in terms of like played a lot of rugby um was starting to get into my fitness you know i was a kid i was still carrying a bit of puppy fat and all of that but it was kind of i was growing in and out. all that was turning around when that happened i was in hospital for a, a decent amount of time like a bit over a month and then there was a big a big period of recovery following that and uh I've thought about this a few times quite recently actually because I do like to go back to back and I do like to always have something to look forward to to try and do athletically because I feel like, like you, I wanna keep doing stuff and keep pushing what I can do. And I enjoy it as well. And I enjoy the camaraderie and the meeting the people that I meet. But I think it all probably stems from that moment and the fact that, you know, if I'm being quite honest, there was a point where if it had gone on for longer, you know it could have been that i would potentially like not be able to do these sorts of things mm-hmm. in the future you know i just thought maybe that was a bit of a turning point for me to think well why not just work hard and be nice and smile and have fun and just do the things you want to do do you think that
1: your injury your your your, your sickness in the l2 l3 vertebrae did That contribute having that kind of period off where you couldn't do
0: these kind of things. Do you think that kind of yeah. motivated you? To- yeah, yeah, definitely. I was always very active. Like I was always brought up in like, um, you know, like a very rural family and a very rural lifestyle, and was always, you know, a big fan of the outdoors and loved the outdoors. Uh, but not being able to do it and realizing that you can't take this stuff for granted. Definitely. And I think sometimes people do, and that's why I think becoming overly competitive sometimes can also take back from the enjoyment of what you're doing yeah. and the sort of experience. Um, I was speaking to someone recently who was saying to me, they don't want to get competitive because they'll lose the experience and the reason they do this stuff is because of the experience. If you are enjoying the experience and then are able to be competitive at the same time, I think that's, yeah, the best of both worlds, but sometimes you can't do that. You don't want to become overly competitive to then get rid of the experience like when you're out in Moab you want to be seeing and being and being very present where you are yeah you obviously your overarching goal is to get it done come the first Welshman to get it done but you want to go out there and you want that experience you want to enjoy it definitely. and if you can be competitive at the same time that's awesome all great yeah. so yeah i think going back to the question i i definitely was taken out of being able to do anything for about a year, then when you come back and you, you do do stuff again, you realize that you can't take anything for granted. Mm-hmm. Like, you've done a lot of charity work. You, you've gotta sit down and you've gotta think, there's people that can't do this stuff, mm-hmm. so why not do it if you can't do it, kind of thing. Definitely. I think that's kind of the overarching feeling of everything.
1: Definitely, I think you touched up on something there. It is about the experience, you know, I'm a realist, so I, I know I'm not the Jim Walmsley or Courtney DeWalter of, uh, of ultra running, but I have a great time and experience the camaraderie, experience the moment, which is something that we don't always get to do yeah. in, in, in modern life, and experience the adventure. And you know, the, the ultra running scene, I think, has just grown massively. Even since like we started in 2010, you get so many people doing so many different things now, which is just awesome. And it shows that people want to have those life experiences. But it's so great to like, have the opportunity to to share them with people like yourself. You meet on the trail, you have a conversation, and you might not see them again for the rest of the race. But it's great, You have those conversations, and by the same token, sharing it with the team around me. You know, I'm going to be out in Moab with my wife, with um, one of my friends who I've known since 2002. The other one I've known since probably the age of four or five. Like, that's a life experience that nobody will be able to ever take away from us. And I've been very fortunate in that. I've been able to experience those things with my, with my younger brother, Reese, of course. I think the other like, motivating factor for me is that a couple of years ago, I um, was very lucky, um, my, my employer, Johnson Johnson, arranged for me to go out to Ethiopia on a charitable mission for a charity called Operation Smile. Operation Smile are a charity who perform surgical intervention for children and adults with um, cleft lips, cleft palates, Uh, around the world so not just third world countries they do it all over the world and um i was just struck by how dedicated the volunteers and surgeons and and healthcare practitioners were in um giving up their own time paying for their own flights to go and um help other people learn how to smile and uh Again, my wife always says, you know, Smile's an international language of the world, and it's so true, and I came back from that, and I thought, do you know what? I really need to, to do more for this charity, so um, I'm doing the Moab for Operation Smile. Um, I kind of work as a, an ambassador for them to raise awareness, raise funds for, the, for their charity, and if any of your listeners are considering looking at a charity to, to get involved with, an Operation Smile's a great cause.
0: Obviously, we're ahead of Moab here. Yeah, we're a few weeks out from the start date. Um, by the way, if you do want to donate, we will put the link in the description box of the podcast. We'll also share it on our Instagram at Why in the World Pod. Ahead of Moab, we've chatted everything about to this point. I feel like Moab is going to be a big experience. Yeah. So if we get this episode out before Moab, then we'll sit down following Moab. We'll chat love about to that. Do that.
1: I'd love to do that. Come we'll back. We'll just on uh, and... debrief. Yeah, exactly. Tell you how I got that the whiskey and uh, which flag I went with in the end.
0: Mate, you're a legend. Huge good luck out there. Thank you so and, much. And uh, we'll speak to it following.
1: Thank you so much for having me on and um, yeah, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Legends. Thanks, Appreciate it.
0: I'm sure you'll join me in wishing Scott a massive good luck for his Mohab 240 attempt. I'm sure he's going to become the first Welshman ever to complete it. And we are going to catch up with him again following the race. So I'm sure you'll look forward to that as well. Make sure you subscribe so you get that and all of the other episodes as soon as they drop. And if you can give us a five-star rating and a review, that would be brilliant. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with a brand new episode.